This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome, everyone, to yet another episode of Diagnosing the Aftermarket A to Z. I am Matt Fonslow, and today I am going to go solo. I think I want to talk a little bit about motivation. But first, I would like to thank our sponsor, Napa Autotech Training. Are you tired of searching for trained technicians? If so, let Napa Autotech help you build a technician with their Build a Tech program. These three-day courses cover one of four topics, brakes, electrical, steering and suspension, or HVAC through a combination of classroom lecture, hands-on, and utilizing training mock-ups. Visit NapaAutotech.com. Keep reading this stuff online, a lot of the social media groups, if you will, and just talking about motivation, how to motivate employees. And I think it's a kind of a rough subject, to be honest, because I don't know a lot of long-term effects anybody can have over another to motivate them to do something. There's little short spurts of things. There's short-term type things you can do to inspire or temporarily motivate somebody to accomplish a short-term type goal, meaning more money, you know, changing how they're compensated to try to drive them to do more of whatever the desired action is. So we're picking on technicians or management of technicians, we might change their compensation packages, specifically wages, to be linked directly to produced hours production. And that may temporarily motivate them to try to produce more work. But after a while, it seems to peter out. It just doesn't seem to have the effect it did before. You may pull them in the office. You may Again, modify the rates, boost them up more, try to just make that carrot larger and dangling it for them to go after. And you find that it just works for a while, but not indefinitely, like not just long term. And so then the idea is that they're not motivated by money. I mean, everybody's motivated to a degree to make enough money to live whatever life they have set up for themselves or striving for. So I think everyone to a degree is motivated at least a little bit by money. You got to make enough money to afford to exist in our society. So at some point, can they make enough and then they just don't care? You certainly don't hear about that very often, but it does become like pro-con. Do I really bust my tail to get this another 10 hours this week for an extra amount of money that, you know, what if I don't get that extra 10 hours done, my paycheck's going to be fine. I'm going to make, have no problems paying my bills and I'll have enough money to go do whatever activity I want to do. I could see that where the effort doesn't seem worth the reward. But the thing is, is I'm not sure that's a motivation type thing for management to put on an individual. I think most people are more intrinsically motivated for long-term. The long-term is really internally, you yourself are motivated to do a certain amount. And I think what we see happen over time is there's demotivating factors and not a common thing in a Western culture 
to look at our systems and our processes and our just our businesses in general and think about removing these things that may be demotivators, allowing people, specifically our people, to be in their best state, if you will, best state of mind to do the best they can. Because fundamentally, I think most of us are, we really want to be a part of something that succeeds. We want to be on a winning team, if you will, while not having to stress about bills and all that. And that, again, many podcast episodes bring this up. It's got to be a certain, I don't know, you understood type of a disclaimer almost that it really doesn't matter how much, how highly you pay somebody, they could spend more than they make. So that's not to put all the pressure on management, but we really do have to deal with the fact that there's going to be incomes demanded by people with the skill sets needed to have successful businesses or else they're getting pulled away by other professions, other industries that, you know, honestly don't need all of their, you know, their entire skill set that they use day in and day out in the bays. They don't need that whole skill set. They need a fraction of it and they're paying more for it. We have to confront that. So we have to get everything lined up to make not only the shop's got to make money, like the shop, the owners, managers, everybody under that roof needs to come out ahead, including the shop itself. The shop needs money to keep improving as well, improving the work environment. You're going to need capital to be able to do the things you do to remove these demotivating factors, whatever they may be. Most of them reasonable, sometimes after a while. You start to get to the less reasonable ones, whatever that may be. I know that's really vague to say, but who knows what the imagination of really any employee is for some sort of fringe benefit to working somewhere. Unlimited supplies of donuts, unlimited supplies of their favorite energy drinks, something of that nature, right? And then are you contributing to somebody's lack of help? You know, that's something to consider. But it's not unreasonable for them to have access to warmer climates or which is probably most of the U.S. at some point. The access to you know, ice water, ice cubes, stuff like that, place to store lunch, maybe warm it up. That's not really all that unreasonable. If you don't want them up in the customer waiting area, getting coffee or whatever beverages like that, something set up for them away from the customer waiting area that isn't some sort of almost like an insult. The nice stuff is out there and then hazard junk for the employees. Because you got to worry about what messages are we sending. You're really important to us, but not that important. For 98 years, the Napa name has meant quality parts and service. It also reflects top quality training programs to help you build a more successful vehicle repair business. No doubt, the technician shortage is impacting everyone but you're not facing this battle alone. Napa has the solution by making Napa AutoTech training available near you. Napa AutoTech provides automotive aftermarket technicians career development opportunities through structured, disciplined, measured, and high-quality technical instruction, no matter the technician or service advisor's skill level. This instruction enhances understanding of vehicle systems, increases first-time repair capability, and overall customer satisfaction. It also prepares technicians to become ASE certified. 
It's a fact. Technicians who receive training to improve their knowledge and skills have a higher sense of job satisfaction. This reduces technician turnover and increases productivity, directly improving a shop's profitability. It is vital to the success of a shop's business that today's technicians are equipped to diagnose and repair today's complex vehicles. With our ever-changing technology, the technician's knowledge and skills need to be updated and refreshed on a regular basis. As you labor over the decision of whether to send your techs to get their skills sharpened, keep in mind, Napa Auto Tech Training is an investment, not an expense, and it's available to all. Much of Napa Auto Tech's training is offered in more than one format to accommodate varieties of learning styles and training preferences so each person can maximize their learning. Whether you're more of a hands-on person or enjoy learning at your own pace, Napa Auto Tech is here to provide you with the training you need in the format that works best for you. To learn more about what Napa Auto Tech offers, contact NapaAutoTech.com. I think it gets really rough to just try to find ways to continually motivate. It might be better long-term to learn how to find out what may be demotivating and addressing those. And it's not trying to paint this super positive, picturesque idea of how things work out psychologically, because at some point you can't make everyone happy all the time. And nor should any adult expect to be made happy all the time. They have to be able to look at things as a whole and also see the general improvement and the track or path that the business is on to continually improve the work environment, the benefit packages. You don't have retirement yet, but it's in the works. And there's no reason to not believe it's going to happen in a reasonable amount of time because in the last few years, you've raised wages, you've added health insurance, life insurance, maybe even the shop's taken on cost to insure technicians' tools. That's come up where who's responsible. It can be cost prohibitive to be able to insure their tools. And it's odd that so many discussions are had about what the compensation packages are for techs, even before we add buying their own tools maintaining their own tools, now insuring their own tools, and they may be paying a large percentage of their medical insurance for themselves and or their families. And their base salaries or total salaries are not equal to, or even if they are equal to that of the other skilled professions out there, their expendable income is significantly less because of all these expenses that they wouldn't have in another skilled profession. That doesn't seem like such a great sales pitch to be an auto tech instead of an electrician. And we need people in this profession with skills beyond, I want to say just an electrician, but the skill sets are wider. I mean, I, I don't think there's an argument and that's certainly not speaking lowly of electricians by any means, but it takes a lot to be a tech. Even if you specialize in a certain area of repair, there's a lot of, a lot that goes into it. So that can be very demotivating when you're sitting there with your toolbox full of tools and upwards of, you know, whatever number, you know, whatever number I say is going to be lower than what many have invested. And then on top of it, looking to insure them. I mean, that sends the cost up even further. Why wouldn't you be disgruntled? Why wouldn't that be demotivated? And it's at least a conversation worth having and research on everyone's part. You know, it's not always to just come down on management, although sometimes management needs to wake up. 
and find out what, like, what are your techs looking at to pay for their insuring their tools? And then what are some solutions? Get insurance agents involved and find out what are the options available? Like, what could we do? Because how do we offset that? How do we not make that so taxing on the tech? I just don't see that they're going to elect not to insure their tools. And that certainly could be their choice. But then if something happens and it's really out of their control and they're on the outs, like the losing end of it, how do you recover from that? I mean, as a profession, forget the shop, forget the individuals. How do we as a profession recover from that? I think we very quickly lose another tech. and They're going to go do something else. They're going to make as much or more money without nearly that type of expectations and out-of-pocket expenses and being hung out to dry because the opportunity in many of the other professions, and it wouldn't even have to be a skilled profession. It could be a lot of other things, you know, jobs in general, where it's just not a thing. It's not part of being it, being involved. And we don't have that lucrative outcome. So this is a very like premature type idea, but I've kicked around some similarities to like fishermen. If you ever watch The Deadliest Catch, the deckhands and all that, they have to buy their own clothing. And I think they all contribute to certain amenities, mainly I think food. I think they can all pitch in or it comes out of their share. And it's a rough comparison only because what they're doing, although a short stint at a time, their threat of their life or livelihood is much, much higher than the vast majority of jobs out there. But they're showing up very commission only. If the boat makes money, they make money. All the boat's expenses have to get paid first, and then whatever's left over, they get a share of it. If the boat does well, they do well. So, I mean, there's a certain amount. It can be quite lucrative, right? You see some of the numbers coming back. If they're they're out for a few weeks, their paychecks are tens of thousands of dollars. So it can be quite lucrative. And I'm not saying that we're going to be nearly that lucrative, but I think that's where some of the issues arise is they have quote unquote skin in the game, but there's a big payoff at the end. I'm not so sure when we're asking our employees to have skin in the game, there's quite a level of payoff at the end. It's nowhere near as lucrative. So now you're back to this pro con, putting on this risk. The pro isn't worth the con of the risk. Why am I going to do it? Just like a business owner would do. You know, I have it all on the line, right? Most business owners, they it's all on the line. If the business goes down, they stand to lose a lot. And therefore, there should be a reward for that. And although maybe not proportionally so, you're asking employees to have skin in the game there's got to be a pro there at the end of that. And, you know, when you say lucrative, I know that usually means or absolutely does mean big, like, you know, just big, the big payoff, like hitting the lotto. But it should be enough to not make them regret taking the risk. I mean, back to just the purely motivational aspect of it. There's studies out there. If you look on YouTube, this is based off a study. You'll find motivation I guess I'm probably aiming more towards the diagnostic ends of things because they're talking about deductive reasoning. 
where there's studies where they incentivize how quickly you can figure out a problem. And they found that the groups that were incentivized for speed performed worse. And we're talking about like solving, problem solving. One of them involved, you know, I think it was like a a box with some tacks and a candle and you had to have the candle in the box and the box couldn't touch the ground. And you had groups of people incentivized that if they could figure this out in a minute, they'd get this much money, two minutes, this much money, five minutes, this much money. But the money, you know, the longer you went, the lower the amount went. And a lot of these groups ended up with zero. And yet the groups that weren't incentivized for speed often figured it out within a minute or two. And I just find that to be a very powerful. And it's not just like one time, like there's a series of these. And there's a lot of what we do that requires figuring it out. And the easy stuff, quote unquote easy, you don't really think about the clock. But if you're incentivized on speed production, if you don't have it figured out early on, now you're not just thinking about the problem. You're thinking about the clock. And that becomes an issue. And that's where we have techs getting cranky, going up to the counter, asking for more time, negotiating more time, and then get this conflict in and of itself being yet another demotivator. So everybody can do it. It's not just management. I think we can all step back and look and not view things so much as broken, not broken from a system point of view. And what can I do to drive this team to pull harder? You know, how do I get tech A back with the group to pull in the same direction? and pull harder. Like we're on this path, we're making this kind of money, but man, we need to get to that next threshold. So how do I get everyone to pull harder and pull together? And I think we're thinking strictly of, you know, just cracking the whip so much as much as like, what can I dangle in front of them? What carrots can I find? How close or far away do I place it in front of them? And it might be less about that and more about what can I do to remove certain parts of the, what be it the system itself or the work environment, which I mean, yeah, it's related to the system. Hopefully you get what I mean. That kind of takes away that motivation. I know that as these things are removed and changed and the fact that employees see management trying to do these things to help better the work environment, better the process, remove these things that are demotivated. I know you're going to see improvements in morale. I know you're going to see improvements in production. So this is almost a part two to improving processes is also looking for demotivators. So we were looking earlier about common cause, special cause issues in the system. Now is looking for demotivators. And sometimes they're going to be one in the same. Flaws in the system in of themselves are going to be demotivating. But now can I step out thinking even more psychologically and what can I do to just help further allow my team, my employees, my people to take joy in what they do? Because a lot of them, at least starting out, love working on cars or love fixing things or love solving problems, solving puzzles. Over time, and I'm not even saying it's intentional. The focus is on, I'm thinking more like management point of view, 
ownership point of view is that make money, go after these benchmarks. And we start forgetting what it takes to get to those benchmarks and get to them consistently. We just get hyper-focused. I think that's what we do. And we need to step back and look at the big picture and remember a lot of these people started out, if not all of them, with a love fixing things and taking something that's not working and figuring out why it's not working and then making it work. How do I evolve the shop, the environment, the process to better allow that to keep occurring or occur once again? Especially the techs that you see, the employees that you see are becoming less and less motivated. They're losing that love. And I don't think it's because they're doing it all day, every day. I think it's because of the hurdles, whatever they may be. And and which is, I think I have to be vague. It's the only way to talk about it because it could be so many different things that a focus on removing those demotivating factors can completely change the attitude and production levels and the just the environment itself, the ambiance, if you will. And you're going to realize long-term consistent success. My thoughts on motivation, just really provoked by seeing some posts online about motivation and trying to motivate people. And I think that fundamentally, it's not so much finding ways to motivate them. It's finding what is demotivating them and as best you can remove them. I don't know that it's possible to ever truly remove all of them, but it does mean a lot just from an employee perspective, seeing management trying to and earnestly looking to and trying to remove these, whatever obstacles they may be. You know, lack of equipment, lack of training, lack of information, work conditions, maybe lighting. Like we could just go on and on. And then the whatever politics, if there's politics involved in your businesses and you may not think there are, you may need to step back and really look because there probably is. And not that politics all by themselves are fundamentally bad, but if it's viewed as unfair, it becomes a big problem. And in a way that gets into more psychology where everybody knows they're playing a game. And I think everybody understands that there is going to be some hierarchy set up. You know, the owner is going to be away at the top management, you know, in that realm, a little bit lower. And it just, however that's set up, I think everybody accepts that. And that if they view that either the hierarchy itself or the game that they're involved in, and I don't mean like games so much like board games, stuff like that, video game. It's that actions have results. And I don't mean so much game like kitty game, but that there's a strategy and cause and effect, stuff like that. And even a meritocracy, stuff like that, that I think most people accept that. And if they don't, they kind of should. But if they view the game as fair, most people are okay with that. Again, they probably should be. It's when the game doesn't seem fair, that it's rigged. That's where you get people that don't want to play the game anymore and they're out or they check out or they want to break the game. They want to break the structure of the hierarchy and just tip it upside down. And we see that happen well outside of the shop, well outside of our profession. We see that all over the place. But it's something to consider. And these are all related to motivation. If you have a structure set up and it's a kind of a game and 
maybe someday in the future I'll have to try to do an episode talking about game theory itself. But this game, you have one. It's going to be rough, but to step back and look at it very objectively is the game fair. And you may have to even ask. You're probably not going to ask your employees like, hey, do you think the game's fair? But if they feel like they can play by the rules and move through the game and it's fair, you're not going to have the same loss of motivation as somebody that's looking at the game as being rigged. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Napa Auto Tech Training for sponsoring. And thank you to the Aftermarket Radio Network for making this all possible and the hard work that Tracy and Carm do to edit these episodes and make them sound really good. So if you have any ideas or feedback for the episodes, please don't hesitate to send them out. I'm really easy to get a hold of on social media. You can also email me at mattfonslopodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care. You've been listening to Matt Fonslow diagnosing the aftermarket A to Z on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Matt on your favorite listening app. He's very interested in what you have to say. Let him know what you'd like him to cover and come on the show. Matt is all for advancing the aftermarket. Find Matt Fonslow on social media and connect or on aftermarketradionetwork.com.